And I was, I was reading this passage, and I was looking at Luke chapter 10, where, where Jesus is talking, and he's talking to a guy who, who is like, he, he's got it all figured out, right? You know that guy that's got it all figured out? You can't teach him anything because he knows everything. You know what I mean? You know that guy? Some of you have told me I'm that guy sometimes, you know? Some of y'all are laughing right now because you know you've told me that. Let me tell you something. I don't know everything. I can assure you I don't know everything. As a matter of fact, there's so much that I don't know, as a matter of fact. And every time I read God's Word, I recognize there's a lot, a whole lot that I don't know. And just when I think I do know something, I go, man, there's a whole lot more I need to know. And that's the beautiful thing about God's Word is the deeper you dig, the more there is to find. And this is a passage that I've read like a thousand times probably. And, and, and you, read some, you read this and, and maybe you read it in the context of what's going on in the world today and God reveals something else to you and, and it's like it's just shocking to your soul. It like revitalizes you. It's like they put the paddles on your chest and say, this is what I was really talking about. And here, let me, let me read this to you. It's in Luke chapter 10 beginning of verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. I love people that test Jesus. I love people who say, like, look, I know the law, and, and I'm going to test Jesus. Okay, now, admittedly, at this day and time, they didn't know that Jesus actually wrote the law because he was God. You know, they, really, they wasn't really getting that. Okay, some of them were, but most of them weren't. Okay, and here's this guy. He's a, he's a He's a lawyer, right? Like he knows, he knows what the law says, and he's going to test Jesus. He's going to say, let's see if this Jesus guy, if he's really all he's cracked up to be. Now, you and I have the beauty of hindsight, and we can look back at God's word, and we know that he is who he says he is, and, and we see that through his death, burial, and resurrection. We see that. But this poor guy, man, he doesn't have that vision yet. He can't see that yet. So he just, he's like trying to test Jesus. And, and you say, what's his motivation for doing that? Is he trying to make him look bad? I don't know. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. Maybe he's like trying to figure Jesus out, and maybe he's trying to figure out if he really is the Messiah. I don't know. And, and, and some, some of you may be in that place right now where like, I, I'm trying to figure this, this, this guy out. I'm trying to understand more about Jesus, and is he really who he says he is, and is he that person to me? And if you go to camp with us, which by the way, shameless plug for camp, we're going to camp on August the 31st, or July 31st uh, through August the 3rd. Um, that's what we're going to be talking about, who Jesus is. I know you're like, oh, okay, well, I think I've heard that before. You need to be there at camp because sometimes you can think you know something but not really know something. You can think you have all the answers but not really have all the answers, you know? I think we just said that a second ago, and, and that may be the case for you and for, for your understanding about who Jesus is. So that's why you need to be at camp. He's testing Jesus. His teacher he even calls him rabbi. Hey, hey, teacher, I need you to, to, and maybe he's saying it sarcastically. Maybe he's not. I don't know. But he says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So here he's asking Jesus to test him. He says, I want to have eternal life with God. What do I got to do in order for that to happen? And he thinks if he's really a lawyer, he thinks he's got that all figured out already. Well, you know, I'm supposed to eat this way, and I'm supposed to dress this way, and I'm supposed to fast on this day, and, and I'm supposed to, to go to temple on these days, and I'm supposed to do this in the synagogue, I'm supposed to read this and do that. So he, he thinks that he's got this whole laundry list of things that's going to put him in right standing with God, right? And he's got, he's got a list, right? And, and some people believe this about heaven. They, they, they think, well, I'm a good person. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed rape. 
I, I, I love my family, and, and, and I'm, I'm a good person. I don't steal anything, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. And that's how they think they get to heaven, right? That th- that's how they have, think they have eternal life. Well, Jesus is going to show that it's actually more complicated than that, but it's really, really simple at the same time. Because you can say one thing, but mean a whole nother thing in your heart and in your life, right? And that's what Jesus is going to drill down to. He's going to say, man, those things, this is great to have your little laundry list of things, but it really boils down to this, this, and this. And this is going to be a reflection of how you live your life. Look at what he says. Jesus says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and all your mind and, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, right, right. And he says, do this and you will live. He didn't just say, remember that and you'll live. Remember that and you'll have eternal life. You know, that's, Francis Chan says this all the time. He says, says, you know what uh, what Jesus says to do? He says, go and, and make disciples. You know what we as Christians do? We just memorize that Bible verse. That's what we do. We memorize that Bible verse. And here, Instead of going and making disciples, we just go, well, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. You know, of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And do this, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. And, that's, and, and, and what do we do? We, we memorize that verse instead of actually doing the work, right? Because doing the work is a lot more difficult than memorizing the verse. It's a lot more difficult because... To do the work, you've got to have a heart that's geared that way. You've got to have a heart that's wired towards doing that. And Jesus didn't say, good job, remember that, and you will have eternal life. He says, do this, and you will live. It was the do this that jumped out at me. It was the do this that kind of just sprang out of the page. It was, like, it was not just like, good job for remembering that that's what you're supposed to do. Jesus said, do this. He goes on to say in verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who, who is the person that I'm supposed to love? Right? Which is the question that I think is being asked a lot right now in society. Who is my neighbor? Who is it that I'm supposed to love in this way, you know? And, and the reality is, see, here's the thing about the Jewish culture is that they assumed that their neighbor was, was the people that, that God had kind of put in their sphere. See, see, God had told them for purposes of not diluting their religion and not diluting uh, the Israelite nation, he told them, look, you need to stay within your circle. You need to stay in this group of people, and you don't need to intermarry with people outside, and it, it's really good if you could just stay together for right now and for this time and for this purpose. And God did that with good reason. Because he didn't want to dilute the religion, he didn't want to pervert the religion, he didn't want other religions to come in and mix with the, 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 the religion of the one true God. And, and so that's the reason for a period of time that the Israelite people were just told to, you know, just stay within yourselves. So they assumed that everybody else was bad if they weren't in their little inner, cir- inner circle. Now you say, man, that's a terrible way to live, that's a terrible way to view the world. And unfortunately, I would say that there's a lot of Christians that view the world that way. They view the world as if, you know, if it's not somebody that I go to church with, somebody that's sitting next to me on Sunday morning, or not somebody that, 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 that believes, uh, you, you know, these specific things, that, that they must be bad. And the reality is, is that they're not bad. 
The reality is, is that we're all bad. The reality is, is that we all need a Savior. And they need a Savior just like you need a Savior. And we, we as a church, what we believe here, in case you're wondering, what is, it, what is it the simple church believes? Is that we're all sinners saved by grace and we need a Savior desperately. And we come in here not because we got it all together, but we come in here because we don't have it all together. And we need to learn more about this Jesus who rescued us and saved us. And and we need to learn more about what he can do in our lives to restore us and make us new and do all these things, this restorative work in our heart that takes us away from who we were to who we are supposed to be in Christ Jesus. And we need that. And that's why we come in here. It ain't because we got it all figured out and we've checked all the boxes and now we dress in nice clothes and now we, we, we just come together on Sunday mornings to sing songs that we already know. It ain't about that. It's about us understanding we desperately need Jesus over and over and over and over again. Do you know how often you need Jesus? As often as you sin. Now, if you're done sinning, if you figured out all that and you don't sin anymore, you probably don't need Jesus, okay? But if you sin, then I promise you, you need Jesus. And you need him to remind you of how you need Jesus. So this man saying, okay, I'm a good dude. I take care of my people. The Israelite people, he says, who is my neighbor? And what Jesus is going to point out here is there's a difference between knowing stuff and doing stuff. There's a difference between what you have memorized and what you think you know versus what you do and how you live. And that'll be evident, not in here, inside these four walls, but when you go out there and you're outside this building and how you live your life. And that's what Jesus is speaking to us about right here and right now. See, people have this mentality that we're going to be able to fix the world, that we're going to be able to change things and make everything right. The reality is only God can really change people's hearts. And I mean, I, I mean really change them. Yeah, we might be able to make some adjustments here or there along the way, but only God can really change somebody's heart. And only when you really, truly love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and not just say it, but you really do it, that there's a big difference. So he, he tells a story. Jesus replied with a story. <laughs> This is like what your dad would do, you know? Like, Dad, can I have five bucks? And then he's like, well, let me tell you a story about when I needed five bucks when I was a kid, you know? And this is the whole walking uphill to school, uphill both ways, in the snow. All he had to eat was dirt, and he was thankful, right? You know, that, so Jesus is doing a little bit of the dad thing here, and he's telling a story. He's replying with a story. But he do, does this in a way that, that actually makes the guy actually think about what he's saying, as opposed to just saying something, and the guy goes, okay, yeah, I can memorize that, and then I can go about my life. He actually wants the guy to think for himself. Don't you hate it when parents do that? I'd much rather you just tell me the answer instead of me having to think for myself, you know? But no, if you're going to mature and you're going to grow, then you've got to think for yourself, unfortunately. So Jesus is trying to encourage the guy to do that. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, And he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and left him there half dead beside the road. So this is a Jewish man. Jesus goes out of the way to point out that this is a Jewish man. This is an Israelite. This is somebody that that this guy would have been, okay, so here's my neighbor. I got this. Okay, like like I I got what you're saying here, Jesus. This is another one of my Jewish brothers, and he's traveling, and he gets beat up. 
And then, of course, what's going to happen is one of his brothers, that's another Jew, is going to come along and rescue him and save him, right? Because that's what we do. We look after our own. Man, that's my neighbor. Okay, Jesus, you, you can just skip right to the end because I got this story. I know what you're saying here. Like, we're supposed to see a Jewish brother hurting, and we're supposed to do something about it. Now, the guy's going down to Jericho, and you guys have heard this a million times, where this is a, this is a rough road, lots of rocks and stuff on the side, where it's very dangerous to travel because people would be carrying their goods, and they'd be carrying all kinds of money and stuff, and then somebody would come along, jump out, and they would rob them, you know, like Robin Hood, you know, like hold them up and, you know, Wild Wild West style, like put up your dukes, and I'm taking all you got. But this time, they actually beat the guy and take all of his stuff, right? So he's on this road. And, and this Jewish guy, he gets beat up. All right, it says, it says in verse 31, by chance, a priest came along. And here, I know that the, this, this guy that was testing Jesus was probably going, okay, oh, this is going to be good. Because this, this ain't just like another Jew. This is, like, this is like a priest. So this guy's got it going on. He knows all the laws. He knows how, what it's like to love people. He knows the way it's supposed to be in our community and how we're supposed to love each other. He's like, okay, this is good. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So this is a priest who's supposed to have it all together, supposed to know everything. He's supposed to, to be actually living this way. But instead, this is a person, and Jesus is pointing out here that there is a difference between knowing and doing. There's a per difference between what you memorize and what you live. And you may say, golly, that's a good point, you know. That, that's, I'm glad that's not me. I'm glad that there's no difference between what I know God's word to say versus how I live my life. Or maybe you're saying to yourself, there are some things that God has said and I know to be true. And God has rescued me in my heart and in my mind and I know that there are things that, that I'll fall short on. And there is a difference between what I know to be true and how I'm living my life, and that kind of speaks to me. Maybe we're bold enough to recognize that there are some things that we don't do right. Maybe there's some things that we don't do that are in alignment with what God has said, and we know that that's the case. And maybe God is speaking to us just like he's speaking to this guy who thought he had it all together. It says that this priest, the guy who's supposed to know exactly how to live and exactly what you're supposed to do, and he's supposed to have a heart of compassion, so he has no compassion at all. There's no real heart for God. If he, if he had truly loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, I think it is obvious through this story that this guy would have cared for that man who was beaten up and robbed. I think that if he really genuinely cared about God the way he's supposed to, instead of just saying it, if he actually lived it, then there's no way he could turn a blind eye to this hurting man. There's no way that he, it says not only did, did, he, did, did he pass him by, but it says he walked to the other side of the road to get away from him. Either, either, he, was, either he was so bothered by the fact and convicted by the fact that he didn't want to help him that he had to get it out of his mind, which is what some of us do. And sometimes we just, instead of seeing that there's a need there, we go, oh, I... Mm -mm, there's no, no issue there. It's all good. It's all fine. We turn a blind eye to it and instead of saying there's a need there, there's a, there's a hurt there and we need to address it. Either it was that conviction or maybe he was detested by this guy. Maybe he looked at him in his gross and, and distorted state and maybe it was like, oh, that's just too much. I can't even deal with that. 
I can't, I can't even deal with the way that guy looks and how bad his shape he's in. I can't, I, so he just goes to the other side. Maybe he didn't want to mess up his nice clothes. I don't know. Whatever the case, I know this, is that priest, no matter what title he may have had, he did not love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that is what this man, who is testing Jesus, is forced to admit. That you can be a priest all day long, but if you don't live it, you ain't nothing. You are not who you say you are, and you are certainly not somebody who loves God. Because he walked to the other side of the road. Okay, one bad dude in the, in the mix. That happens, right? There's, there's one bad priest in there, okay. Verse 32 says this, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So here is a, a temple assistant, somebody that's used to doing the grunt work, okay? So maybe the priest, maybe he's like, he wears the nice clothes and he's the front man and he's the picture of what he's supposed to be like, but he don't really get his hands dirty, right? He's not the one that does the, the behind-the-scenes work, behind the curtain, getting everything ready. So he's not really used to doing work. But here's a guy who does all the dirty work. You know, he's the one sweeping the floors and cleaning out the holy hot tub. And he's like, he's doing whatever's necessary to keep things operational. So he's used to working and getting his hands dirty. So maybe this guy, maybe when he comes along, maybe he'll be like, oh, okay, I, I, I'm not dis disgusted by this guy. I'm not grossed out by him. I'll go and I'll help him and I'll get my hands dirty and I'll do whatever is necessary to take care of this guy. No. No. Once again, somebody who is around the temple all the time and spends a lot of time at the temple and he still ain't living it because he walks by on the other side too. He's like, uh, maybe he didn't look away from him like the priest did. Maybe he actually saw him. Maybe he even stared a little bit, but he kept going. There, there's... There's something to be said. There's some Christians like that in this world. Oh, man, that's terrible that that's going on. That's, that's terrible. There's a need there, and mm, somebody needs to take care of that, and they keep on walking, right? You know what's even more interesting than that is, and this will hit you some in the pocketbook, um, some people will say, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Instead of me having to deal with that and me going and getting dirty and getting my hands dirty and, and getting, getting my knees dirty where I have to go down and take care of somebody, I'll throw a little money at it, you know? Can you imagine what would have happened to this guy if, if this temple assistant would have just walked by and, and threw a couple hundred dollar bills down there and said, oh, you're good, take care of yourself. This will help you out. There are some Christians that are like that. And they think, that's enough. That's really loving our neighbor if we'll just throw a little money at it. Is that going to help that guy? If he has $100 bills raining down on top of him, if he's bloody and laying there naked on the side of the road, unable to move, unable to do anything, take care of himself, does it do any good if he's got money raining down on him? It doesn't do him a lick of good, does it? Sometimes we've got to get our hands dirty, and sometimes we've got to do some stuff that don't look real pretty. And one thing I've learned in ministry is that when you really do ministry, when you really do minister to somebody, which, by the way, everybody in this room is a minister, in case you're wondering, you're called to minister to people. Every person in this room, unless you're not a Christian, and then you're not called. But if you call yourself a Christian, then you're called to minister to people. I've had people leave this church before because I said, if you don't feel called to serve, then you're probably not a Christian. They're like, I'm out on that. I don't want no part of Jesus where I got to actually do something. I really thought it was about me and me getting saved, and I thought that was what it was about. But don't ask me to go do something. Especially don't ask me to go do something that's hard. I ain't in on that. 
I like the easy stuff in the air conditioning. Don't make me get dirty and don't make me get my hands dirty or get nasty and doing ministry. I'm like, you can't stay in here because I'll hit you with that truth all day long. You, you can't love Jesus and do nothing. You, you just can't. You can't. You can't love Jesus and sit on the back row and just be like, it's all cool. I'm good. Everything's good. I just love Jesus. Man, you really don't love Jesus because there's nothing in your heart that stirs you to want to do something. There, there, there's, no, there's, there's nothing in your heart that makes you go, man, I got to do something with this love that I have inside of me. And it's pouring out. It's spraying out like a sprinkler. And it's just going out. There's no way I can hold it inside because it's, it's so overwhelming inside of me. I, I, can't, I can't contain it anymore. It's just it's going out. I got to do something with it. If you don't have that, you don't have Jesus. If you don't have that, you don't have Jesus. Now, I'll say that 50 more times. If a thousand more people leave, that's fine too. It says verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along. Now, he's despised because he's looked at like as a half-breed. This is somebody that would be half Jewish and half not. He's like half Jew, half Gentile, so he's not really one of the purebreds, you know what I mean? So he's He's like, he's like, yeah, he's kind of, he's kind of mixed and like, eh, you know, they really look down on them because those are people that sold out to the Jewish religion because they intermarried with somebody that wasn't a Jew. So the Jews, the pure Jews just kind of look down on that and say, oh, detestable Samaritans. As a matter of fact, I mean, and, and you know, it, it's, it's bad to look at somebody like that, but James and John did the same thing in case you didn't know. They, they, they were called the sons of thunder because they suggested that when when they were rejected from the, the Samaritan area, that, that Jesus just called down fire from heaven and just consumed them all. This is James and John. These are the two, two of the closest to Jesus. One of those being the disciple who he calls himself the one who Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he suggested that Jesus call fire down from heaven to burn up the Samaritans because they were not hospitable to their, their travels. So here, this is a despised Samaritan, and he points this out. Jesus calls him a despised Samaritan, not because Jesus despises this man. It's because he knows that this is the way that the Jewish people would look at a Samaritan. This despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. That is the first step if you truly love God. If you are a true lover of God, then, then you will feel compassion on him. And, and this is not saying that, that, that this man was necessarily someone who loved God. This is just showing that this is what a person who does love God, this is how they behave. He's using this as an illustration, you understand. He said he felt compassion for him. That is the very first step. Do you think the priest felt compassion? Maybe he did, but not very much. Do you think the temple assistant felt compassion? Maybe he did, but not very much. Not enough to motivate them to do something. This man felt real compassion. Enough that motivated him to do something. And that's exactly what we see. Going over to him. Going o the, first, the first thing it says is going over to him. He didn't walk to the other side. He didn't get away. He goes straight to the problem. He goes straight to the need. He doesn't turn a blind eye to the need. He sees there's a need. And he goes over to assess the need. You know that that's... That's more than even a lot of Christians will do. There are some, some people that won't even go into certain areas of Aniston to see where the needs are. They won't go to places where they see homeless people. They won't, I, I, I have driven people to, to their, their homeless camps before 
And I'm not saying that I'm some great and wonderful person, but I tell you what, when I grow up to those camps and I see where people are living in this abandoned house, I can see the need. And I understand the need. And I understand that these people are hungry and, and they probably didn't have one meal today. I, I would rather be in a position where, where I have to see that kind of stuff and I have to know that there's a need and I have to know that there's hurt in this world so that God will drive that compassion inside of me to do something about it. First thing this man does is he, he, he goes up, he goes over to the man, the Samaritan, soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. You know what the Samaritan did? He got his hands dirty. This man was bloody and he had wounds and he says, he soothed his pain by putting his hands on him. Now, this, Jesus is speaking of a man who has done this as an illustration. But the good news is, for all of us, that it's not just an illustration of how we're supposed to behave. It's not just an illustration of how we're supposed to love God, but it's an illustration of what God did for us and how God saw our wounds and he saw our transgressions and he saw our needs and he bandaged them and he soothed them and he did that through his son, Jesus Christ. And here Jesus is talking about the Samaritan who is doing this thing in this illustration. It says, then he put it, the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling them, take care of this man. If his bills runs higher, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Is this an illustration of how we're supposed to live our lives? Yes, absolutely. But it is also an illustration of how God rescued us. And when God rescues you and he heals your wounds and he puts his hands on where you're hurting and he puts his hands on your life and he gets down in the dirt and he's down there right beside you and he's seeing the muck and the mire that you're in and the fact that you cannot help yourself, that Jesus is the only one that can help you and he pulls you out and he sets you up on his donkey and he takes you to a place of comfort and takes you to a place of safety and says, you are taken care of now. I am paying your bill in full. I am paying whatever is owed for you in full. It is taken care of completely. That is the beauty of this picture. You know what people need? They need a savior like that. And they need to understand the gravity of having a Savior like that. And they need to understand that God put his hands on our wounds where we could not heal ourselves, and he healed us, and he rescued us, and he put us in a place of safety, and he took care of us, and he paid all the bills, and they were completely free. And when you recognize that, when you recognize that that kind of God loves you that way, then you recognize how how. how wonderful that grace is and how wonderful it is to be a recipient of that and you want to pour that out on other people you want other people to experience that you want other people to know that kind of love and experience that kind of healing power that God has where he takes care of everything and if you do it will motivate you to do something because you will have a different heart inside of you you won't just know the words you will live the words every day you'll live those words. He asked this Jewish lawyer, he asked him, so now, 
Which of these would you say was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. The man who showed him mercy. You know what the most beautiful picture of this is? I told you before that when God asks a question, he's not asking a question because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking a question because he's giving you an invitation. He's offering this man who thinks he knows it all. He's offering him understanding. He's offering him a chance to understand who God really is and what this love really looks like. He's giving him a chance. Even though this man is pompous and arrogant and is a jerk and thinks he's got it all figured out and he's testing Jesus and Jesus extends an olive branch to him and says, you can know this peace too. You can know this same kind of love too. And then Jesus finishes everything up by saying, Yes. Now go and do the same. He didn't say, now go and remember what I told you. He didn't say, now go and memorize the story that I just gave you. He didn't say, he said, go and do. Go and do. There's no fancy wrapping this up that I can give you. There's no something that I can say that's going to give you chill bumps and make you respond to God. If you want Jesus and you really want Jesus, he's there for you. His arms are wide open for you. He is willing to get down in the dirt and put his hands on your wounds and heal you from the place that you're in to rescue you and pick you up and take you to a place of safety that you can't get to on your own. And what he says is if you love me and you recognize the love I have for you, go and do. Take that love and go and do. Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you for what you say to us and God, how you say it. And I, there are no words than I could ever say that could articulate the beauty of your love and your mercy that you have for us, God. There, there are no words that I could say that would completely wrap our minds around just your goodness. God, but you have spoken to people. You have spoken to them directly where they are and the place that they're in. And God, I know that you've spoken to people's hearts. And right now there are things on people's minds, God, maybe throughout this story that we've just read, there are certain things that jumped out at them just like you showed me things in this passage. And God, now the question is, what we'll do with that? As your Holy Spirit has spoken to us and as your Holy Spirit has stirred our hearts and our lives, what, what will we do? Will we turn a blind eye to it? Will we just look at it and see that, that there's something that we need to do and how we need to respond, but we won't actually do it? Or will we do will we do what you've called us to do whatever that may be in somebody's life and maybe somebody needs to be rescued from themselves today 
maybe they recognize, they look at their life and they recognize that they're not a Christian. They don't really love you. They've been telling themselves that they do and they've been telling everybody else that they do, but they know deep down in their heart they don't love you. God, you have asked them a question today. They will, you've asked them a question and now the question is, will they respond to that? You're there with your arms wide open. God, I pray that they would just respond to you. You have spoken to your people. Awaken their hearts and their souls right now. God, draw your people unto you. Be glorified in Jesus' name.